Before history is written, it's played. Before it's frozen in time, it's fought one shift at a time. Before it's etched in silver, it's carved in ice. What happens next will last forever. The Stanley Cup Final on ABC and ESPN Plus begins Saturday. Hello and welcome to a very special Everything is Black and White podcast. I'm Andrew Musgrove and I'm joined here by the Newcastle United editor, Mark Douglas, to talk about his first book, Inside the Raffolution, which covers last season's uh, joyous campaign in the Rafa Benitez at Newcastle United. Uh, and first and foremost, Mark, uh, how are you feeling now it's out on the shelves and, and online to buy? Yeah, it's kind of a weird feeling of kind of like, you know, it's, it's relief that it's out there because it took basically my whole of my April and May were um, kiboshed through writing it and kind of like, you know, you're a little bit nervous about what people think of it, but hopefully people kind of enjoy it. I know there's a lot of, you know, Rafa's, the season with Rafa was just, was just fantastic to cover um, and the way it ended made it just perfect really. But I've kind of tried to make the book not just about what happened this season because I think context has to be added to it. So the first chapter, for example, doesn't mention Rafa's name at all I don't think I think the prologue is obviously Rafa the first chapter doesn't mention his name it's just about kind of what was going right how it went wrong we go through Kinnear lots of little tales about um, little things that happened at Newcastle you know Alan Pardew uh, a party that Alan Pardew threw for us um, when they finished fifth little things like that you know little anecdotes really stuff that um, probably mentioned at the time little things that maybe haven't kind of come into light before but little things that people have maybe forgotten as well quotes, little little things like that, because I think you need to understand where Newcastle United was before Rafa came in, and that first chapter's all about what they did wrong, what they did right, because the, the book really was an, a, a, a good a good way, I think, you know, because you can't write it in 5,000 words, which is the maximum that we put in a newspaper, which normally we don't do at all, but 75,000 words or 72,000 words is, is, you can kind of get a bit of context to what happened because Newcastle wasn't all terrible before Rafa came in and it's not all perfect now and I think that's the kind of the way that you can get into the book but Rafa you just get a sense I hope in the book of what a driving force that Rafa's been how even inadvertently quite a lot of the differences and little things that he managed to do lifted everybody in the city lifted everybody at the club um, and some really like kind of like nice little things I was able to put in that possibly people didn't realise were going on The first couple of chapters I suppose shows just what a difference he's made in, in such a short space of time because when you really think about it, it it's it's flown past and away yeah. but he has changed so much on and off the pitch and the background to that is shown in the first couple of chapters yeah like 50, it's been 15 months I think of Rafa now and we're, we're we're almost at a point I think now where you can kind of take stock and realise that a year ago um, we were I don't know it's a, it's a strange one isn't it really because a year ago we were all excited about what Rafa was going to do but there wasn't necessarily much substance there to what he'd done. We were kind of excited about the the concept of the revolution, if you will. What's been really nice about this book is um, that you've maybe had the like, I've been able to kind of trawl back through what Rafa said this season and, and put all the pieces together. So a quote that he maybe, um, maybe said in July or even August or September, or October, something he said then actually ended up in uh, sort of April, March, 
as being like, all oh, right, I can now see what he was doing. So looking back through the lens, you can see what, exactly what he was doing in August. And, the, and it was like a project. He was piecing it together piece by piece. And it's absolutely fascinating that you, you, you couldn't at the time, you couldn't in August say, ah, Daryl Murphy. Yeah, that, that makes sense because there's this here. In fact, you looked at it in August and said, Daryl Murphy, God, they obviously didn't get the player that they were after. Actually, you now look back at it and you realise the, the key part that Daryl Murphy played at certain parts of the season. You realise exactly what Rafa was doing there. And that's been, that was kind of the most satisfying thing about writing the book was that you were able to say, right, with the, the hindsight of where they finished the season, how they finished the season, this is what he did. And it was, it's absolutely genius, really, when you look at what Rafa did because he didn't know the league. He didn't know the people involved. He didn't really know Newcastle that well um, back in August. But he managed... I think to do exactly what he wanted to do at the um, at the start of the season, and that was put together a team. And uh, the book was just like I mean, it was a pleasure to write. Really, the the idea that you know you had a man who came in who had very set principles, very set ideas of what he was doing, um, and he also had a human side as well. It wasn't like a kind of we hear about projects at football clubs all the time, but Rafa actually put a kind of a bit of a human face on the, the project you know he knew what he was doing and he kind of just lifted everybody and it's um, yeah really like I really enjoyed writing the book and I hope people really enjoy reading it Fantastic and interestingly you mentioned Daryl Murphy there maybe at the time we couldn't quite see what Rafa was, was getting at and obviously now we're waiting for players to come in for the Premier League season chapter 11 is all about what makes uh, Benitez player yeah. so how important is that looking ahead? Yeah, I think, well, I mean, if you read that that chapter, I think it gives you massive clues as to what Rafa's looking for this season. And we're kind of like, we're already at a position now this season where I think United are working on um, a couple of deals. You know, we know they're working on two, at least two. Probably have four in, I think, probably by the start of pre-season is my, my kind of understanding. If if you look at it out on social media, a lot of people are worry, wondering why they're trying to sign Florian Lejeune. A lot of people are looking at why he's trying to sign Tammy Abraham when he's not... Um, when he's not doesn't look as if he's that bothered about signing for Newcastle United well if you read the sort of chapter it's all about um, Rafa's kind of ideal player and the DNA of a player that he looks for then you kind of can put it in a little bit of context of it isn't just about the qualities that the player has it has to be about the character as well and you get a real sense of that like there's you know when I was going back and researching every single player that he signed just about all the main ones that he signed anyway They'd done so many background checks on what they were like. And there's a common theme running through all of those players. And that's their character. And by character, I don't just mean like, you know, they're kind of banging the drum in the dressing room and sort of, you know, they're these kind of big players. They're players who've come from nothing. Like there's three or four of them in the uh, Newcastle side. All good players. Matt Ritchie, for example, is a great example of a player who, international, good Premier League player. But when you delve into his backstory, you can see why Rafa thought he's the player for me because Matt Ritchie had been living above a car uh, living above a pub living above a pub car park he'd been um, he'd been out on loan several times he played at all these different places he'd really you know had to work to become a Premier League player and Rafa absolutely loves that and you get all these like little backstories for every player and there's a whole chapter about Dwight Gale and what he went through to become a Premier League player because you kind of realise that um, Newcastle before I'm not saying that they didn't have characters before they did they did have characters you know they'd had some good characters but they had players I think who were not as hungry as the kind of crop that Rafa brought in and I think you look at it this summer and Rafa doesn't want to rip up that blueprint because he doesn't want to 
um, kind of poison the, the dressing room by bringing in two or three players who think they're too good for Newcastle United again, which was the problem before. Um, Newcastle had become a club where it was just a springboard into something else. Rafa changed that round, and it's very easy to say, I'm going to bring in players who want to play for Newcastle United, but how do you actually do it? Because everybody wants to play for Newcastle United when they're being offered three times the salary. But the way that you actually make sure that you get the right kind of characters in is you look at their backstory and you see them doing it time and time and time again. Going to new clubs, needing to prove themselves. Going to another new club, needing to prove themselves. And it's like fascinating when you look at Kieran Clark, Mode Army, um, uh, Dwight Gale, great example of it. Matt Ritchie, absolutely fantastic example of it. And like it was great going through all of those different little backstories and seeing like all of them have come through quite a lot of hardship to get to where they are and I think Rafa knew that I think well, he, well we know he did he did so many background checks on it and he was like this is a squad that I know are coming in they're desperate to prove themselves um, and, and you can see it and, and hopefully in the book you kind of see their little backstories and you realise why this was a squad that could cope with a lot of the things that were thrown at them last season the foreword obviously by McQuinn yeah. uh, there's a line in it where you know he talks about Newcastle and Liverpool being so similar he went and got his hair cut and his yeah. first week then understood the same language which was football Yeah, and that essentially is kind of the same thing Benitez has said in in, in a similar way yeah we, I mean I've got Mick Quinn obviously Mick's, uh, Mick's pretty high profile because he's got his talk sports show and he's, he's a huge Newcastle fan um, because he played here but he's also a massive Liverpool fan so I thought he was quite a nice uh, quite a nice person to come in and talk about it and, he, and what I think he says in that in that forward is like that these are two cities that are very very similar they're, they're cities that have um, massive parallels in terms of how they feel about football, what their um, what their kind of attitude to the game is, and I mean, I, what I quite liked in, in the Quinny um, forward is he, he tells a little tale about Rafa and what he thought about Rafa when he won the championship, which I thought was a really nice way of kind of summing up the season at Newcastle United. And I won't kind of like give it away, but, this, but I thought you know when he told me that and when he said it, I thought absolutely that is spot on. You know, this is a guy I think Rafa who. I don't know, you know, he, 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 Rafa doesn't give, Rafa's not a massively quotable guy. Like when you go through, you see the quotes, they're really illuminating quotes, but they're nothing that would lead a back page um, of a national newspaper because they're kind of like all kind of interesting things. And he doesn't like to talk. If you say to him, what was your biggest achievement in football? He'll sort of say, oh, well, I, I did a lot. I've done a lot of things. And he might go back to when he was Real Madrid B manager, you know. Um, but there's, it's really interesting because I think my personal feeling is that this season that Rafa's just had would be among the top and most impressive achievements of what he's done and he would feel that as well because when you look at when you read the book hopefully you get an idea of all the things that were thrown at Newcastle and it wasn't like from the outside I think we thought you know a lot of people at the start of the season thought this is a done deal piece of cake it didn't turn out that way and when you read the book you kind of realise blindly you know it was a lot harder than um, a lot harder than it looked remember Villa Norwich both spent big both had good squads probably not as good as Newcastle's to be fair but they were nowhere near and Newcastle won the league and what, I mean, one of the issues that came up was, was January which obviously has its own chapter yeah. to it uh, no, not signing any players Townsend was the one he wanted didn't get it Yeah. Uh, I mean how would how, first of all how did that affect the rest of the season how has how that also put kind of strengthened his hand maybe for this for this season yeah well I think I mean January January's kind of a, a really interesting one because we we wrote a lot about it at the time and I hope now you can put it into a bit of context and the, the beauty of beauty of writing the book was it you kind of realised when you made a few inquiries and when you made a few um, made a few calls about it to write the chapter was that it maybe wasn't quite as cut and dried as um, it looked at it looked at the time 
I think probably you have to you have to look at January as a kind of um, a touchstone point in the season because I think you could see afterwards, um, and I write about it in the book, obviously, like you could see afterwards that Rafa went a different way after January. The team became more functional. The team, I think, became a little bit more direct. They, they, I think Rafa to that point, they, the team had attacked it, played really well. The resources after January became more stretched, and I think you could see that Rafa. It was almost like a, a, a success in two acts. The first act was easy. The second act, I think, was a bit, a lot harder. You know, you could see that um, January had a big impact because it, it also it also changed the mood around the club. The club went from being um, very positive, very optimistic. It was this idea in the summer that what Rafa wants, Rafa gets. Then it suddenly became a lot nervier after the after January. And I think that what Rafa did really well there was manage that incredibly well so he managed the team I don't think there was any problem with the team I think they were always going to win the league whatever happened but he managed the city he managed the expectations really well and there's a bit in it um, the chapter after January where it kind of goes into a little bit of like what happened after January and why Rafa was able to um, kind of affect the mood and why it didn't become fraught because we've seen time and time and time again in Newcastle United it is a club that's quite jumpy you know it when it gets momentum and things become positive, Newcastle United is a force to be reckoned with. And I think you'll see that in the Premier League next year if Newcastle get the players they need. But also, it can be a club where it can feel claustrophobic, it can feel very nervous. Um, we saw it with Pardew, you know. There were times when that club, they shouldn't have kept Pardew on because his very presence there was toxic. And it wasn't necessarily his fault. It was everything that he represented was wrong. And I think that like what Rafa did really well was he just used all of that experience that he had and turned it into something that was much less nervy than it, than it might have been. And I think when you read that, that chapter, the way it finishes um, with the kind of interview on Sky, I mean, I kind of went, I kind of tried to bookmark that chapter with another interview on Sky and then the one at the end, and I went through exactly what was said. And when you actually read it back, you think, God, like he was making a point that day but then he turned it around straight away the day after he didn't let it linger he didn't let that poison sort of fester and you just think wow this is a guy who knows exactly what he's doing he's got that real intelligence he's got a real everything he says means something and um, yeah it was, it's, it's a pleasure to work with him you know? I, I, like, I like the way that he works and I'm not saying it's going to be, all be as easy as it was this season but, um, but this, is a, well, this was a season in time and a fascinating one which is why the kind of book hopefully um, is worth reading and interestingly, one of the key things for Rafa is working with Lee Charnley. They've got a good relationship. Yeah. In the book, there's a bit about Lee Charnley not acting quick enough under McClatt when he was in charge of McLaren, Pardew beforehand. Mm. And there was a bit on social media at the moment, fans questioning whether Charnley's acting quick enough in the mm. transfer market. I mean, just going back to under McLaren, do you think that criticism was justified and how do you look well, at him how do you look at him now? I think I think like I kind of explain in quite a lot of detail in the book why McLaren didn't get the sack yeah. earlier and actually when you I think Lee Charnley's quite Lee Charnley's an interesting character really because actually when you meet Lee Charnley he is um, I, you know I, I, I like him in terms of what, when you speak to him I think that he's very honest when you speak to him you know I think I, I did the interview with him two Januarys ago now where he was absolutely straight as a die you couldn't fault him really in, in those terms uh, and I kind of like and I think that he's you know what he decided. What he decided to do in terms of McLaren 
when you kind of look back at it, I think he was wrong, but I understand why he didn't sack him earlier. And there was a lot of having made the decision then to stick, to stick with McLaren. You've got to, in some ways, salute the fact that then he was prepared, which is the one criticism that I levelled at him when they did go down that season. Your one criticism that you levelled at him was, like, you know, he was too... Maybe there was, this, there was an idea that they were too stubborn. I think they were with Pardew. They were too stubborn. They felt, we're just going to ride this out. We're going to keep with Pardew, even though, as you see in the book, there was a little bit of a cold war going on behind the scenes between him uh, Graham Carr and I think that, that had a massive impact on the football club it made it very very difficult for them to be successful what you do see with Charnley with Benitez is that when Benitez becomes available and when it's obvious that Benitez is happy to talk and will come they act quickly and you've got to salute him for that because that took quite a lot of I think that took that, that took a fair amount of bravery on the part of Charnley to go and get him now you know, and then to keep him as well was was another act because you know, I personally think he would have if they hadn't if they hadn't gone up this season with Rafa in charge and the money that they'd spent. God, I don't even want to think about what Newcastle United would be now. And you know, really, you need to be brave in that situation because Charlie easily could have said at the end of last season, "Look, it hasn't worked. Um, we've spent a lot of money." Uh, Rafa's kept coming in he's, he's been paid a lot more than most Newcastle United managers probably the most expensive he paid Newcastle United manager of all time but they I think Charlie understood that having got Rafa in you could see the difference in the city um, and they had to keep him and of course you know Mike Ashley's a tough boss to work for him you know I mean it's very well talking about Lee Charlie and criticising Lee Charlie and criticising what, what he did but you know he works with Mike Ashley and, and who who here is going to say to their boss look you're completely wrong I think you have to you have to try and convince them you have to show them what you're doing and actually I hope like in the book you know Lee Charlie kind of obviously he's criticised for a few of the mistakes that he's kind of made and stuff but I think hopefully you will realise why he does things and I don't think he is somebody he, he's been portrayed before as somebody sabotaging the club in some ways I think like at times I think if you realise in there that any mistake was an honest one um, and he deserves some praise for what happened this season. And people forget as well, he's documented in the book that he has been here at the club long time, for yeah. a long time. So it's he's not one of yeah. kind of the, the team that's to support us. You know, Mike Ashley's team that supports us to criticise. Yeah, yeah no, I, I, that's that's the thing as well. I mean, you know, it wasn't Lee Charney brought Joe Kinnear in. It wasn't, you know, and, and it probably wasn't, you know, it was him who brought Steve McLaren in. And I think that was the biggest mistake that you could say of Newcastle's recent history was they had a massive opportunity to go out and get a Rafa Benitez two or three years ago and they didn't do it and it would have been great if they could have got it but of course Rafa you know I say in the book like it, it, the stars aligned because Rafa at the start of that season was either going to go to West Ham or he was going to go to or, and he ended up going to Real Madrid now Newcastle couldn't compete with West Ham at that point because West Ham were offering more money I don't think Rafa necessarily would have come to Newcastle at that point definitely wouldn't have when Real Madrid came in for him so Newcastle were lucky in a way that Rafa was available that when he came in he liked it because I think he would have probably left at the end of the season if he didn't feel um, that he was kind of appreciated and stuff and it was all it all kind of like the stars aligned a little bit for Newcastle and having got that opportunity they now need to make the most of it this summer um, so yeah I mean of course Lee Charney might end up not bringing anybody in this summer and then he will get rightly get criticised um, but you know it's only June the 20, 20th it's very early in the window like if they bring in the players that I think they're going to bring in they'll be okay next season 
Um, and remember, Rafa's spoken to Mike Ashley already this, this summer. So, you know, let's see where they are at the end of the season. A long time left in the small window. A long time. Still things to do. You know, Charlie, with, with Lee Charlie, it's never simple, is it? Because it's always, I think they go through with a fine-tooth comb every single deal that they do. Um, and that's probably the process at the moment. It's going a little bit slower than they anticipated, but fingers crossed, you know, they might start doing a bit of business this week. Fantastic. And in the book, you also mentioned about Rafa's backroom staff. Obviously, when they got promoted and then they won the title, he made sure that he went around and shook everyone by the hand. Everyone got photographs of the yep. title. And just how important is that? To say that from Rafa, but I mean, just how important is that backroom staff yeah. to Newcastle United? They're a great. I mean, they are like when, you know, I was lucky enough to go down and sort of spend a, spend a day interviewing all of them um, in, the, uh, in November. And that's where the kind of basis of those chapters and the, those chapters come from, you know and doing a little bit of background research on those guys as well. And I think that they're, what really impresses you about those guys is they're all really well qualified. They're all motivated. They're all intelligent guys. Two of them, the Rafa, two, two of the backroom staff that Rafa has brought in with him in 15 months have gone on to get first team manager jobs. Like Pekir took Verona into the Serie A and Cathro, obviously, I don't think he's gone massively well from my hearts at the moment, but he will probably get another chance next season. Now, what does that say to you? That says to me that they are intelligent, uh, clever guys, and they and they're pretty good at their job as well. And I'm pretty sure that if um, you know they might be in consideration for other jobs. You know, I think, I mean, um, Paco, who's uh, Moreno, who's uh, mentioned quite extensively in there, is a really like I I really talked to him. I thought he seemed really really good, and I think he was quite important in sort of Rafa taking the job because he kind of Rafa chatted to him about the about the um, the job before he took it. Moreno told me that when we went down. He said Rafa rang him before um, before he took the job and sort of said, what do you think of it? And he said, yeah, you know, I think Newcastle would be a great job. And, and I think you've got to look at guys like that. It's not just about Rafa brought in his own staff. He, he got his own staff. And I think that when you see how they work, they're not, it's not just Rafa, you know. He's, he's a guy who is probably obsessive, leads from the front, but he's learned in the time that he's been a manager that actually you need to share the burden. And so you need people that you trust. And you need people that kind of work alongside you, and you can see that it's it's a very close knit staff. Um, and Rafa's main point that he that he makes all the way through the season, and you see it in the book as well, hopefully, is that um, you know that it's not just me; it's collective effort uh, from me right down to everybody, to the doctor, to the um, to the kit man, to the kind of ground staff, to the people behind the scenes. It's all of us did this together, and that's why people at the club love him because. He isn't like a bit of a raging egomaniac. Like he's not, you know, it's not about him. It's not about having his face over everything. Um, he kind of understands and you see it like one of the pictures that came out straight after the, um, straight after they, uh, they, they got promoted was this picture in the back room of him and uh, in, the, in the corridors at St. James Park, him and about eight or nine, the backroom staff. And he wanted that picture of all of them with the trophy. And uh, yeah, I really liked that. I thought that was, that was a nice that was a nice kind of emblem of everything that Rafa stands for. Fantastic. And obviously it peaked uh, with the final day of the game of the season. Yeah. Um, I like the way that you've done it in the book kind of by by the minute sort of thing. Yeah. Um, going through, I know when we were covering it, you know, obviously it is that fast when we do our match days. Yeah. And when that goal went in and then the news came that uh, Villa had equalised, yeah. you know, it was it was chaotic for us. I mean, I can't imagine what it must have been for, for, for Benitez. Yeah, I think I think it was quite like I wanted to I wanted to kind of get across that emotion of the final day because um, 
it was brilliant. It was like so many different themes, so many different strands of that, that day were coming through um, that it was great. And, you could, and like, I think looking back at it now, you can kind of go back and like pick out a little bits of colour and little, little things that happened um, on the final day that you maybe didn't realise, like Carl Dollar getting told off for having his mobile phone on the bench because he was trying to get the score, little things like that. There's loads of little, little bits like that, you know, Mike Ashley coming in late and all that kind of stuff. Um, that, that you could just kind of go through and it was just like the perfect way to end the season because I was funny enough when I kind of came to write the book when we were speaking to um, Sport Media or Trinity Mirror who kind of published the book they said yeah you know this was in about March when I said right you know would you, would you like me to write it would you want you know and they kind of said yeah you know it looks like a plan um, they um, they said look the book doesn't really work if, you, if they don't get promoted um, and I was like, right, okay, yeah, that, that kind of works. So you're facing the prospect of writing 40,000 words, not not ended up actually getting the book out and stuff. But I was confident they were going to get promoted. But then to win the title on the final day sort of made it work. Because I think you would have always had the problem with a lot of people saying, well, they finished second. It wasn't a success. I was kind of always like, well, it, it was still a success, even if they finished second. But winning the title just gives it that extra sort of, um, extra sort of, uh, lift if you will so uh, hopefully that's kind of worked and then obviously in the um, uh, epilogue as well you, you get an idea of like the final meeting with Mike Ashley as well and obviously you mentioned Mick Quinn mentioned about Benitez lifting the trophy yeah. there's a lovely picture of Benitez lifting it towards the director's box smiling and we've talked about it before but that seemed to be the moment that his guard was let down and you could see just how much it meant to him yeah I mean the thing about Rafa is that you know now we've kind of this, the, the emblem of the season and the front page of the book which I think's like great and it was uh, our photographer Lewis Arnold who got the, got the picture and I absolutely love it and I think it's like you know it is the picture like if anybody's kind of walking past it in the, uh, on the stores like you've got to have a good picture on the front and it's perfect and that's the picture now that people define the season by but like he wasn't smiling and kind of punching the air between September and April you know it wasn't it wasn't that way Rafa was all business. It was, you know, he was very down to earth about what the team had done, what they were going to do. Um, and, you know, it, it, re- it really was let his guard down in those final two games. The, 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 books, the book kicks off with something that you, you know, hopefully people kind of realise it, it only broke, his, his guard only really broke in the, that game that I mentioned in the first bit. Before then, he was it was all business, and that's what you get with Rafi. You know, it's it's all business, and I think I don't know when he's I don't know when he gets time to spend with his family because it feels like he's a complete obsessive. He loves football. He loves um, making a success of things. He loves solving problems. Is that's the kind of that's what Rafa absolutely loves, and um, you know he's just an obsessive, but a nice guy as well. And he's got a sense of perspective about what football is as well. I think he's obsessed by it, but he also realizes. You know the important things in life, like family. You know he, he's um, mentioning there uh, a nice little anecdote about him sneaking off during his honeymoon and uh, and all that, which I think is quite well known. But I thought it was quite nice to put in there as well. You know, sneaking off to watch Inter Milan train when he was on his honeymoon is a great, great anecdote. Because you know, I don't know, I don't think my wife would let me uh, would let would have let me do that. We've seen that this summer as well. He reportedly sneaked off from his wedding anniversary dinner, isn't it, to go yeah. and speak to Tammy Abraham in George's Park? Yeah, typical, typical <laughs> Rafa, isn't it? Absolutely typical Rafa. That um, it hasn't worked yet with Abraham, though, has it? You know, uh, but I, I mean, that's just above and beyond. You're getting a guy who is prepared to put squeeze everything into Newcastle United, and long may that continue. 
fantastic. And obviously, that's got to work from the top down as well with Mike Ashley. And mm. You kind of finished the book just mentioning, obviously, it was spotted, the helicopter coming yeah. in to land at the training base, and then the talks the talks came a lot a lot sooner than everyone was maybe expecting. Yeah, I mean, we, we kind of knew that it was going to be that week, but I think Newcastle felt it would probably be towards the end of the week, and then Rafa wanted to get it sorted. He wanted... He, I think he knew by that point that the longer and longer it goes on in time, on time side, the more and more uncertainty comes, and the more and more people start to say, "Oh, you know, what's happening here? Are we, is, is it going to, you know, is it not going to work?" And I think that Rafa's got that kind of beat of how Newcastle works now, and he's kind of observed how the, the football club works. You know, I'm, there's a bit in there again. You know, I'm not going to kind of like keep, keep saying there's a bit in there because I don't want to ruin it <laughs> if people are going to buy it. But um, but there's a bit in there where I kind of mentioned that. At one point, Rafa kind of senses the nerves in the city, and I think he kind of did something there that he did something and he spoke about something that I think probably mitigated some of the nerves and sort of got people back on side again. Um, and I think that's what that was about. I think he wanted it done quickly. He didn't think there were going to be any problems. Ashley, I think, on the last day of the season, he was there, wasn't he? He kind of understood what the club was going to be about. Um, but, you know, I mean, it's always going to be interesting with Mike Ashley because you never know what's around the corner. Um, you know, when we started talking about the book, one the other thing that was possibly going to be a bit of a problem was if Rafa walked away at the end of the season because you'd have been trying to write this book about a great season and Rafa's not there anymore. And I think that would have been like a bit more of a difficult sell as well. But luckily, he stayed. Um, but you know, Mike Ashley, you can never predict what's going to come next with Mike Ashley. Um, stuff about the takeover last week, which I treat with a massive, massive pinch of salt. I, I really am not sure that anybody's coming in from China to take over Newcastle United but um, but you never know you never know They've, he's clearly signalled now that he's prepared to sell it so who knows awesome. just a couple of questions on Twitter from from readers uh, one asks what was the best and worst signings um, of the most recent season so we're probably going back yeah. to maybe the last kind of pause your season up to to Benitez, up to the Benitez era the best signing was Johan Kabay in my opinion in 2011 because it changed the club's history forever I think it, it took them away from the idea that they were signing the big signings for Newcastle United had to be um, your kind of Alan Smiths of this world or your Mark Madukas um, and it took Newcastle into a new realm of signing players who were like you know they, they hadn't I don't think made the most of markets that um, were out there to the Premier League they did that really well with Kabai he was I think one of my favourite players in terms of watching him he was an absolute joy to watch he was hard as nails as well like he kind of didn't look like it but he was hard as nails great buy I mean they spent peanuts on him he was just a great signing um, and the biggest shame with Kabai was that they couldn't keep him a little bit longer and I think they would have done if they'd have built on that fifth place season they would have kept him I don't think he would have necessarily have been desperate to leave if they'd have stayed but they didn't and they you know they let it go and that was such a shame but Kabai was the best signing the worst signing ironically was another signing from France I think was uh, Riviere and that and the reason I think that's a bad signing is not just because Riviere poor Riviere you know useless though he is um, the reason the Riviere signing was bad was because that showed the kind of problems that they were starting to have behind the scenes because that summer Two players were recommended. Riviere was recommended. He was recommended as a player who could come in and learn at the feet of somebody better. A better player would have been Lacazette. I think Newcastle wanted to sign. They weren't going to sign Lacazette because um, because um, they wanted too much money. 
and it just all went wrong. And it was like a great example of how Newcastle had gone from being really good at that market to being really bad at that market in the space of two years. And it was just that it just that summer was the one where it started to go wrong. Twenty thirteen, signed De Jong, signed Yanmark, good players, Colback, who's done okay. Um, Perez, who's done quite well, but they didn't get the kind of the rounded recruitment that they needed, which was which they did do under Benitez. Probably didn't sign as many good players, um, but that would be my one. The uh, honourable mention from Matt Ritchie, who I think has been a terrific signing, and is, you know, if you could sign another 11 Ritchie-esque players in different positions, Newcastle would be laughing. Fantastic. And just finally, do you think uh, Rafa will be reading the book? No idea, no idea. Uh, he's probably too busy to read it, but uh, but I hope he does. Yeah, I mean, we'll, we'll probably find. I'll probably find out. Probably uh, probably ring up and, uh, and say, oh, you've got this wrong, or you've got this right, or whatever." But uh, but yeah, I mean, yeah, it'd be nice to think he nice to think he was, but um, who knows? You know, he's probably going to be quite busy this summer, so uh, he's not going to take a holiday, is he? A lot of people have been telling me they're going to read it on the beach. Uh, I don't think Rafa will be going to any beaches to read it, so uh, you never know. You never know. But I haven't asked him yet. Fantastic. Uh, great stuff. And just remind us where you, where you can buy it, where you can get it at. So you can get it, if you're in Newcastle, you can get it in Waterstones, WH Smiths. And if you are in the rest of the country, I believe there are going to be Waterstones, WH Smiths are going to have it stocked as well. But if not, you can get it from Amazon. They've got stock now, um, which will is like updated, so you'll be able to get it pretty quickly there. Or through Trinity Mirror Digital Shop, which is, if you just Google inside the Raffolution, you can find it there. Uh, you can also get it on Kindle as well, so you can get it within seconds on Kindle. Um, and yeah, and another word on Saturday at 12 o'clock, Newcastle Waterstones be signing a few copies. And yeah, so they'll have stock there as well if you want to have a chat as well. I can probably tell you what I know about transfers if you come to the uh, queue. Um, <laughs> Hopefully, there will, hopefully there'll be something to talk about anyway. So yeah, fantastic. And if you head over to chroniclelive.co.uk to keep up to date with all the latest Newcastle United transfer news. Thank you very much.